Well, we're still teaching in the Psalms. Let's open our Bibles to the Psalm 22nd, Psalm 22. Of course, this is a, another, the second of the Messianic Psalms, and we're going to find in it the sufferings of Christ and the glory that's to follow. 1 Peter 1.11 says we hear of his sufferings and the glory that is to follow. We know that David experienced these things as well, but we know from the New Testament of all the scriptures that are pointed back to Psalm 22, in fact, the words of Jesus on the cross and various other things that happened to him while he was on the cross, that it refers to Christ. We see the son son of David, or we see David, and then the son of David, the greater son of David. We surely get our eyes off of David himself and look to the promised seed of David according to the flesh, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he's not only the son of David according to the flesh, but he's the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So as we begin this psalm, let us not fail to look at it in the light of Jesus and his sufferings, because that would be a great mistake if we did. It's the psalm of the cross, and we see the darkness and the glory of the cross. We see the darkness first and then the glory of it in this psalm. Let's begin reading with verse 1. We'll take it verse by verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now we know that Jesus said these words in Matthew 27:46 and Mark 15, verse 34. This is the only psalm... I mean, this is the only saying that's recorded just in two of the Gospels, or in uh, Matthew and uh, Mark. And this is one of the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Some of the other words were uh, recorded by various others of the Gospel writers that he spoke on the cross. And then we find that some were unique to either John or Luke or Mark himself. But these words here were recorded by... Matthew and Mark both. And we find that this is what Jesus cried out. It's the fourth word he cried out on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this is when he was dying for our sins on the cross. And he felt God forsaken. Notice it doesn't say why uh, will you forsake me or are you going to forsake me or was, there was no, not a question about it. He says why hast thou forsaken me? He really felt that at that time he was forsaken. And it was because our sins he was uh, bearing at that moment on the cross. And because of our sins being laid upon him, God had to frown upon him uh, and be separated in a sense because of the fact that God cannot be uh, associated with sin except to provide for us uh, forgiveness. Uh, we know that the Bible tells us that in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him he has set him to grief. When thou shalt offer up his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. It says he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So it says it pleased the Lord, it pleased God to bruise him. And at the same time Christ was being bruised for our sins, at the very same time God's love was flowing to him because he was sacrificing the dearest and best of himself. He gave His only begotten Son. The cry of the Messiah on the cross, and that's what we've been studying. He was the forsaken that we might not be forsaken. He was put in the sinner's place. Because He was forsaken, He was taking our place. That's what we deserved. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins. Now listen, 
the just, he was the just, for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. Look in verse 2, it says, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Can you imagine the feeling of Jesus? Notice this continual cry. This is a continual cry. But he did not give way to despair. He says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime. Do you ever cry to God and feel like that you're not heard? He says, and thou hearest not. He felt like his prayer was not answered. But he continued to cry. He continued to pray nevertheless. Do you and I, now he was, as a man, we know that God hear, uh, hears him always. Remember in John 17, he says, I thank thee that thou hearest me always. But then we find that as a man... He was enduring what you and I would endure in crying to God when we felt like that he was not hearing. And so, as a man, he was undergoing these feelings. David did literally undergo them, as David is the recorder of this uh, psalm. And he complains in great discouragement here. Uh, and we find that David felt these things, and yet we know that Jesus felt them more severely than anyone else. You know, have you ever uh, stopped to think of well, you say, I feel pain. Jesus felt greater pain than we do. I feel uh, trials. Jesus had greater trials than we have. I have. Uh, I cry, and I cry great tears of sorrow. And yet the Bible says that he sweat, as it were, great uh, drops of blood falling down to the ground. And he uh, cried out with strong crying and tears. It says in Hebrews 5, I believe it's verse 9, uh, or 7, 8, long in there where it says, Unto him that was able to save him was from death and was heard in that he feared. So Christ cried out, and he was heard. So the continual cry. First we have in the first verse the cry of the Messiah. In verse 2, the continual cry. By the way, there's a lesson in that for us. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Men ought always to what? To pray and not to faint. The word faint there means to fold up or uh, give in in despair, give up in despair. And that's what most of us do, don't we? When troubles come, we just say, oh, it's too much for me to stand. Men are always to pray and not to faint. So don't give up in despair. And then I want you to notice the next uh, statement in verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Thou art holy. You know, he did not charge God foolishly. David did not charge God foolishly. And certainly the Lord Jesus Christ did not charge God foolishly in the hour when he felt that his prayer was not heard. And we find that uh, this is typical of Job. You know, Job said, uh, in all of this, it says in Job 1 verse 22, in all of this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. The last verse of the first chapter of Job, when he had lost everything in a day's time, when he lost everything, he lost his, his possessions, he lost his herds and his cattle and his flocks and his family. And his wife said, curse God and die. It says, yet in all this, I don't know if she had said that at this particular point, maybe in the second chapter, but whenever she said that, he had really lost everything. But in all this, he did not charge God foolishly. Sometimes we're so quick to speak with our mouths and we blame God for things that really... Uh, is in the providence of man to uh, to go through troubles and trials. 
someone says, well, why do we have to go through troubles? The Bible says there's not anything that will overtake us or come to us, but that is common to man, no temptation. But that he will, with every temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so the Lord sees us through it. As he did, uh, as he saw uh, Paul through many sufferings. Remember what happened to Paul? Paul besought the Lord thrice for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. And, and he, he prayed and God didn't remove the thorn in the flesh. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes some of us have some problems physically uh, that uh, we don't want to bear. We have hurts and pains and we have uh, problems in life that we hate to face, we hate to deal with. And yet, sometimes all of these things are to keep us mindful of the fact that this life is not perfect and that we're looking for a better one to come. If we became completely satisfied here, you know, if everything was just like paradise here, you wouldn't want to leave it. I'm sure that God wants us to know that this is not a permanent dwelling place. You're going to have your share of troubles here, right? Your share of problems. And so uh, that, that's, that could be our very problem sometimes. We become too self-satisfied with being where we are. I think that was trouble with Lot's wife. And she began to look back and became a pillar of salt, didn't she? All right, look at verses 4 through 6. Let's read these. It says, Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Now look at those verses. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. In verse 5, they trusted again in thee and were not confounded. David, speaking of his fathers, knew that they trusted in God, and God delivered them from one trouble and another. But then when it comes to verse 6, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Not only was this true of David, but it was true of Jesus. He became, though he was the highest of all, he became lower than all. The Bible says that, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thine hands. And it says, Thou hast put all things under his feet. For in that he put all things under him, he left nothing that is not. Now listen, Hebrews 2 I'm quoting. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, that is mankind. But we see Jesus. Now look, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. It says, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So you see, Jesus became low. It says he humbled himself, Philippians 2, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here he says, I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. The, the lowest of the creatures of this earth, so that the, you could just be stepped on and squashed and mashed to pieces. Low, low in intelligence, low in as far as the animal kingdom, as far as those kind of creatures that are upon this earth, a worm. And yet, Jesus actually became, though he was the highest, he became the lowest for you and I. 
Now, he was never really the lowest except by him putting himself in that position to be a sacrifice for our sins. Now, let's go on. Uh, you'll find in uh, verse 4 through 6 that uh, he does not charge God of being a respecter of persons. He says, Our fathers trusted in thee, thou didst deliver them. They cried and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Sometimes we say, If God helps someone else, why doesn't he help us? Is God a respecter of persons? No, he's not. And here... He did not charge God of being a respecter of persons. In Acts 10, verse 34, the Bible tells us that God does not respect persons. The Father always has a reason based on justice and mercy for delaying the answer of prayer. And if God delays the answer of prayer, it's for a purpose. Look at verse 7. And they that all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying... He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. These words were spoken concerning Jesus on the cross, remember? They said, he trusted in God. Let him deliver them, if it, him if he will have him. We find here a very definite picture in verse 7 that he was despised and rejected of men. Many of these things were literally true when Jesus was hanging on the cross. All that see me laugh me to scorn. Remember the laugh? Remember the mockery? They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. Remember they went by wagging their heads. They shook their heads. And they, they cried out, as verse 8 says, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Much the same words are quoted in the Gospels where it says, Let God deliver him if he'll have him. Look at verse 9. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. What's he saying now? Thou art he that took me out of the womb. We find here that he was thrown on the providential care of the Father from infancy. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. So he was a person before he was born. You know, talk about uh, abortion. When you get into that, you have scriptures that prove that that person that's in the womb or in the, the stomach of a, a, a woman before she brings that child forth is actually identified by God. He knows who it is. In fact, if you want to get a real good scripture for it, turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, if you will. The first chapter of Jeremiah. And then these people that come along here saying, well, you know, it doesn't make any difference. I think you've got a good answer for them. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, the weeping prophet we call him, the one with compassion. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now look at this, fifth verse. <clears throat> Before I formed I form thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee before birth, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You see, God knows us before we're born, and he knows all those little babies that are being taken out before they have a chance to even come into this life and live this life. Can you imagine what would have happened if our mothers had aborted us? 
we wouldn't have been here. I just got from my mother's funeral and in her testimony, one thing about it, she loved all of her children. And her children came first before anything else. It didn't make any difference. She had to wash clothes on a rub board. Some of you know what I'm talking about. To make 25 cents or 50 cents to buy a box of cornflakes, post or something, a quart of milk, so we could have a little bit to eat. She'd do it. And she did do it. Iron clothes for people. And uh, some of them are still here. I saw some uh, the other day uh, that said the mother used to iron for them. The Westalls down here. George and his wife. And the mother used to iron clothes for them. She'd babysit for Dr. Horton over here. He's passed on, gone now from us. But, you know, she didn't mind putting her family first. And I'm not trying to uh, bring a eulogy or anything or say anything there. It's just to show you that you know, we, there was three boys and three girls in our family. And when I went up there to the funeral, every one of them, they loved one another. And I just got a letter from my sister today in a little package. She sent me a memento, a little blanket and a lap uh, quilt that my mother used when she was in the rest home. And she said that they, they, the funeral directors and all of them made the remark that all this family really loved each other. Well, you know, you just don't get that by chance. Somebody has to promote it and to guarantee it and to bring assurance to it. And uh, what I'm saying is that a lot of times we don't realize that that little person that's about to be born may turn out to, to be what uh, God has chosen to, to serve him in some way, form, or fashion. Sometime I'll let you read the testimony that, that, my little, that her little great-granddaughter read at that funeral. And uh, it was her testimony and I have it's about three pages long typewritten pages I just got that in the mail too I wanted a copy of it but I'll read it to you sometime the Lord willing the time ever is right for it alright says in verse 9 but thou art he that took me out of the womb thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast even Jesus notice this the Messiah was thrown on the providential care of the father from infancy remember that Joseph and Mary went down to Bethlehem, and when they got there, there was no room for them in the inn. And the Bible tells us that shortly after the birth of Jesus, Herod tried to kill him. And they had to flee into Egypt for the safety of baby Jesus. But you see, in all the devil's onslaughts, God's providential care was there, and it didn't make any difference. God can take care, and he did take care. And then we come down to verse 12. Well, let's read uh, verse... uh, we read verse 9. It says, uh, uh, verse 10 says, I was cast upon thee from the, from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. When does God become our God? He became Jesus' God from the beginning. You say, well, a child has to reach the age of accountability. I know that. And I know that there comes a time they must accept the Lord. But I, I know something else. God foresees and foreknows when that child will do it, too. You see, I believe in the sovereign grace of God that He saves and He's the one that can call and He's the one that brings a soul to trust in Him for salvation. And that's exactly what uh, all little boys and girls should be brought to do is to trust in the Lord, to be saved and then follow the Lord in baptism, to be a member of a church, to be taught the Word of God because that's the mission of the church is to teach the Word of God. In verse 11, it says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. 
Have you ever uh, come to the place that you felt that there was none to help? No one to help. And when there's no one to help, God is there to help. Then look at verse 12. The strength of the enemy. It says, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Remember those that came up against Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees? They were just like wild uh, bulls out in the pasture, ready to trample anything that would fall under their feet. And he was compassed about. Remember, he's, he is presented as helpless before this. In other words, cast upon the providence of God. And now when the time comes, notice the strength of the enemy. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Let me turn in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 26, verse 47. 26, verse 47 <clears throat> and it says this, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. These were the bulls, and these were the ones that were ready to, to come with swords and staves. That was showing the strength of the enemy. And then verse 13 shows the mocking of the enemy. Back in our text. Hold your place in Psalm 22. It says, They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. They were not only like bulls, but they were like a raving, ravening and roaring lion. We find that they mocked him. In Luke 23, Luke 23, I want to read verse uh, 35 and 36. It says, And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, and offering him vinegar. You see, he was mocked, he was derided. The people stood beholding. That's Luke 23, verses uh, 35 and 36. 35 and 36. The mocking of the enemies. Hold your place in our psalm where we're studying we'll find something else. Now he moves to his own personal condition, his physical sufferings. In verse 14, look at his physical sufferings. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. I am poured out like water. And then in the next verse, he says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, the physical sufferings of Jesus. The moisture had left his body. He felt dehydrated. Remember, he'd shed blood and tears and sweat. The Bible says in Luke 22, verse 44, And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was completely exhausted. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. His whole body was dehydrated and the heat of the... Uh, you know how the heat will melt wax. My strength is dried up like a potsherd or a broken piece of pottery with all the moisture gone out of it. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Remember Jesus suffering on the cross? He said, I thirst. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. When we think of the sufferings of Jesus. John 19, verse 28. Let me read this. John chapter 19, verse 28. 
says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. By the way, there's another scripture in another psalm where the word I thirst is given. And just to think that Jesus suffered all the indignities and all the sufferings and all this discomfort and all the pain of it, not because he deserved anything, but glory. And he laid aside in the book of Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Listen. God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, not just any death, even the death of the cross. And it says, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. Notice the steps downward, even the death of the cross. And because of this, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But he humbled himself. He endured these sufferings for you and I. And then verses 16 through 20, or 16 and 20, and then we'll come back and get in between. 16 and 20. Let me read verse 16 and then read verse 20. It says, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 20 says, Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Dogs are mentioned twice. Remember, there, we've mentioned the, uh, the bulls of Bashan, we've mentioned the, the ravening and roaring lion, verse 13, and now dogs, in verse 16. For dogs have compassed, compassed me, the assembly of the wicked. In fact, that's the dogs that he's talking about. Even the animals were ready to devour his flesh. The bodies of executed criminals were often fed to the dogs. Remember, it said of Jezebel, 2 Kings 9, verse 10 says, And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel. But Jesus was hung on the cross. And the animals could have devoured his flesh had it not been for the prevention of him being high enough to, to keep the dogs from getting hold of him. And we know that the bodies that were taken down being fed to the dogs are if in other ways killed, like in the days of uh, Jezebel, and we know her fate, what happened to her. But on the other hand, Jesus, the Bible says concerning him, that a bone of him shall not be broken, according to the Scripture. You find that in the book of Exodus. We find that Jesus was preserved. Remember when they came by? That is, in, in that sense of the word. Even though he suffered the indignities of the cross and the humiliation of the cross, in the pain and sufferings of the cross, yet the Bible, God divinely protected him in some uh, ways so that he would be resurrected and come forth without a broken bone. And when he was resurrected, he said to the disciples, Touch me, handle me, for spirit hath not flesh and bone, as you see me have. And he rose us in a resurrected body. He had shed his blood. He didn't say a spirit hath not flesh and blood, 
he says, the Spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. And he was a real a person. The same person that was crucified, buried in Joseph's new tomb, came forth victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And when the soldiers came by, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they break the legs of the two thieves, one on either side, to hasten their death. But they found that Jesus was dead already because he was able to give up the ghost. He was able to say he's the only person that ever had power to to lay down his life, literally. Some people have taken their lives, but he laid his down. He says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. He said, this commandment have I received from my Father. Some people have committed suicide and taken their own lives. But Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he yielded up the ghost, the Bible said. He said, no man taketh it from me. So therefore he could say, I gave myself a sacrifice on the cross, even unto death, even to the point of giving up the ghost and saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Bible says he was put to death in the flesh, but he was quickened by the spirit. And the Bible tells us that Christ came forth the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and that the, that the grave could not hold him. We said he is that eternal life in First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You read the disciple. John says, our hands have handled of the eternal life, of eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that eternal life. Okay, if he was eternal life, death cannot hold eternal life. It's going to live. He's going to live. And because he lives, we're going to live too. Because he guaranteed that and promised that. Beyond a shadow of a death, a doubt, we're going to live. And uh, so we read this uh, concerning the sufferings of Christ. Now let's uh, read something else. Verse 16, again, for it says, They pierced uh, my hands and my feet. That's exactly what happened to Jesus, wasn't it? They pierced the members of his body. Remember John 20, verse 25, Thomas says, Except I see Except I see in his hands the prints of the nails, I will not believe. Remember when he met with Jesus and, and uh, Jesus said, Thomas? He said, and remember the first time Thomas was not with them, it says. Thomas was not with them. He missed the blessing the first time. He didn't attend church. He didn't go where the disciples were to meet with Jesus. And I just use that in a way to say that that sometimes many people miss the blessing because they're not there. The very sermon that people need to hear, they miss. A lot of times. Someone says, I went to church and you know I didn't get anything. You know why? The time that you didn't go is the one that you really needed. Have you ever thought about that? The time you missed was the one that you really needed to hear. And the reason you didn't get it, you wasn't there. And that is so true. I've seen... Uh, messages, I've heard messages, uh, Brother Randy or I, one of preached or other preachers have preached, and the very people that needed that very particular lift or encouragement or strength that they would have gotten from that message took off or didn't come at all. And there it was, the very food they needed. You know, it's like you go to the table, you go to the table to eat, and you say, well, you know, there's just nothing there I wanted. The next time you miss the meal and the very thing you needed for your strength, the very thing you like, the very thing that's satisfactory to you, the very thing that would have answered your need, 
you missed it because you didn't come and get it. That happens so many times. Thomas was not there, and he says, uh, he had previously, he's the doubting Thomas, he said, except I see the nails, the prints in his hands, and I uh, see the place, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And the next time Jesus, he was there, the next time, and Jesus offered him the opportunity. He says, Thomas, reach hither, put the... Put your finger in the prints of the nails in my hand. Thrust your hand into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. But believing. He wanted to see in order to believe. Thomas said, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, Seeing, he didn't have to do that. Some people say he reached his finger here in his hand. I don't think he ever touched Jesus. I think he just stood there in amazement and awe. And he believed. But uh, the thing about it is, Jesus said to him, Thomas, seeing thou hast believed, not feeling, but seeing thou hast believed. And he said, blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. Sometimes you and I say we miss the, uh, we miss the opportunity of really seeing Jesus and seeing those prints and seeing those scars. And therefore, we can't believe it because we didn't see it. But Jesus said it's a greater blessing. It's blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. We believe by faith. We believe because His Word has said it. Remember the rich man. He said, send Lazarus to my brothers. says, they will hear. Remember? They'll hear if one rose from the dead. And the answer of Jesus was this. He says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, if they do not hear the Word of God, neither will they believe though one rose from the dead. And that's true. If people will not believe the Word of God, the miracle could happen right before them and they would think it was that they had, were in a trance or had seen a vision. They would discount it at some time or other. But the person that can lay hold of God's Word and say, I believe it because God has given me the record, his, it's His divine revelation, and you can receive it with all your heart, then that's the believer. That's the believer. To believe is to take God at His Word, to trust Him completely and totally. Okay, we have to hurry along. Uh, verse 17. I may tell all my uh, bones, uh, they look and stare upon me. Of course, we find that his body was completely dehydrated. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Maybe even through the scourging and all and the suffering Jesus had gone through, maybe his bones were even revealed by the scourges upon his back. Remember, he'd been beaten and scourged. Then verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That literally took place, didn't it? You know, it was common for them to uh, share the garments of one that was uh, crucified or one that was uh, uh, leaving his garments or clothing behind. But it was not common for them, common for them to cast lots or gamble for them. This was the extraordinary thing. If you look in John, John's Gospel, let's see, chapter... Uh, chapter 19 verse 24 23 and 24 then the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat now they they, they divided the, the clothes see made four parts of his garments but it says to every soldier apart now and also his coat and now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout Probably Mary made it for him. Probably very wonderful and very dear to him. 
And it says, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it. And in other words, this is too good a thing to tear apart and try to separate and part the garments. He says, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them and my vesture. And for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. They didn't know they were fulfilling the Scripture, did they? It didn't say they did it in order to fulfill the Scripture. But because they did this, it fulfilled the Scripture that we're reading here in Psalm 22. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Verse 19, hold your place there. We've just got a few minutes to finish. Uh, Be not... Thou far from me, O Lord, O my God, O uh, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Look at verse 21. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. By the way, here it says the horns of the unicorns too, so there's still a question just about the unicorn. We won't go into that again. We had that one time before. So we see that the, that the Lord here has his prayer answered. The strength and help and deliverance are his. He says, Thou hast heard me. Thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Hebrews 2 quotes, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That's in the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. Paul quotes it there. And so Jesus did actually declare the name, our name, among the brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. He declares the name of the Father to us, and he also sang in the midst of the church. Remember after he had initiated the memorial supper, the Lord's Supper, it says they sang in him and went out. And you find that quoted in the book of Hebrews. Verse 23, Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All the seed of Jacob, glorify him. <clears throat> and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. You know, Christ's resurrection is implied. He not only sang in the church uh, when he was upon this earth, and this was before Pentecost, but he's also going to sing in the church in glory, and he promises that he will be with us, and we will be glorified with him. Verse 24 says this, look at this. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. That's another fulfillment of Hebrews 5, verse 7. Let me read Hebrews 5, verse 7 for you. I think I quoted a little bit of it a little bit ago. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, listen, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. The word feared means he trusted or reverenced God. And he was heard. And he meant that he was able to save him not from dying, but from out of the uh, bonds of death so that he was resurrected. He was heard in that he feared. The resurrection is the proof of this, that God heard him. He was heard in that he feared. Let's go on down quickly in our psalm. In verse 25 it says, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. He's looking forward to future life. He's spoken of his death, of his sufferings, of being pierced with a sword, of of the, the sufferings of the cross. And now he says, 
My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. He says, The meek shall eat and be satisfied. He would provide the bread of life for many. Jesus said, I am that bread of life. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live for, uh, forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. He's speaking of... Uh, being satisfied with the bread, uh, satisfying many with the bread of life, and he is recognized as universal Lord. He says, "All the ends of the earth." Verse twenty-eight says, uh, "For the kingdom uh, is the Lord's, and He is governor among the nations." The sovereignty of God and the universal lordship of Christ. Both small and great shall worship Him. We could read scriptures in Isaiah two. If you don't have time to read it, write it down.